scripture reading this morning is Hosea chapter 2. Turn there with me in your Bibles. We'll read the entire chapter. Hosea chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, ushers have a Bible available. Raise your hand and bring one to you. Hosea chapter 2. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Please be careful to pay attention to this passage as we read it. I'll be preaching through this chapter, and I don't always get a chance to finish all that I set out to do, but you would do well to pay attention to the reading of God's Word so that you can um, see what God is saying to us through His Word. Say to your brothers... You are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will pledge Excuse me. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She shall, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feast, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And will punish her for the feast days of Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards, and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. They shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. 
I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. <clears throat> May the Lord God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read. Help us in our understanding and applying it rightly to our understanding of who God is and how he would have us to live faithfully for him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that we might come to you with hearts of worship, asking forgiveness for our sin in a specific way. That you would make our hearts right so that we can receive your truth, receive your word, and more fully appreciate you and your word. Open our hearts and our understanding today to, to see your great faithfulness, to see your love, your mercy, your patience with us, how you have not forsaken, but you have gone after us, you have pursued us, and you continue to pursue us today. We thank you for that. Open our eyes to see that, to appreciate it, and as a result, to live in faithfulness to you. May you be glorified in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation. Thank you for each one that's here. We thank you for your many blessings. Birthdays from 4 to 90 and some in between just this past week. So we thank you as we celebrate life that you have given. And may those lives continue to see your grace and your mercy and glorify you. Bless this service now and your word as it goes out that we be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated as the choir comes for our song before the message. Promise promiscuity, punishment, and then a promise. It's the outline of chapter 2 of Hosea. A promise, promiscuity, punishment, and then a promise. The promise sandwich. On both ends, there's a promise. In between, there's promiscuity and punishment. But on both ends, there's a promise. The Old Testament, the Word of God, reveals the character of God. God is complex. He's not easy to understand. But what we see is the glory of God in his fullness. We dare not take one aspect of God and study it as if it represents all of God. We need to see what scripture reveals about God and we see him in his fullness. We see his promise. We also see his punishment or his judgment. Last week, we talked about an aspect of judgment and mercy, and we saw all of that in that chapter. As God deals with his people, he shows his fullness. God is a God that will punish and judge sin, and God is a God who is so glorious that he will forgive and provide salvation to extend his grace and his mercy. He does them both 
and we need to understand and acknowledge and appreciate the fullness of God because I think that unless we see both of those in their balance in God, we do not see God. And when we do not see God, we do not pattern our lives as we should. If we see God simply in his punishment and in his judgment, in that power and that might, we fail to see why he does that and what he desires us or, or what he desires with us. He desires a fellowship with us that exalts himself and brings glory to himself and is a blessing to us. When we see God simply in his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace, we fail to see God as one who will not tolerate sin, will judge it completely and thoroughly, and is not a God to be played with but then we more fully appreciate his mercy, which we do not deserve. So the Old Testament, just like the New Testament, reveals to us the fullness of God. And in this chapter, as we saw in chapter 1, we see again a glimpse of that fullness. Let's start with the promise, verse 1. Say to your brothers, you are my people. Now in chapter 1, he, he just said to them, Hosea had a wife, Gomer, and she had three children, and he named them. In verse 6, the second child, he says, she conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to them, Call her name No Mercy. In verse 9, after she conceived and bore a son, the Lord said, Call his name Not My People. No Mercy and Not My People. Now, in the first verse here in chapter 2, say to your brothers, You are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. The promise of God that though he will judge, he is a God of mercy. He's a God who will bring his people to himself. So that's the promise that we have. It's good to see that promise even as we look at, 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 at the failure of God's people in their faithfulness. We see God's faithfulness in his fullness. So he says this promise. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Last week we reminded ourselves this is a, a vivid picture. It's a vivid picture. It's a picture on one hand of Israel's utter unfaithfulness to God. That's pictured in in. Uh, Hosea's wife, Gomer, and the children. They're a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness. Then we see not only the picture of that, but it's also a vivid picture of God's faithfulness and his mercy. And he continues this picture. So we see the stunning promise of God. In light of their unfaithfulness, God still extends his promise. Doesn't that remind you that God's promise is not linked to our action? God, God's promise is not connected with uh, 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 us in a way that, that we deserve anything. He doesn't say, since you've improved a little bit, now that you're a little better, I extend this promise to you. No, he said, call the ones who aren't worthy to be called my people, now my people. Call the ones who aren't worthy to receive my mercy, now recipients of my mercy. What changed? The promise of God looks forward to what God fulfills that God's people cannot fulfill. They're not faithful, but God looks to himself 
in faithfulness and says, since I in my faithfulness am going to provide for them a Savior in Jesus, I can now extend mercy to them and by that grace bring them to be my people. You say, what changed? Nothing in God's people. It's been God's promise that he will fulfill what his people can't. He does it himself. And that's why you say, well, where is Jesus in all that? He's the center of all of this. It is because of Jesus that the people who are not God's people are now being able to be made God's people. It's because of Jesus that those who don't deserve mercy, in fact, fully deserve God's judgment. That's all of us have been brought into the grace of God to receive his mercy. So the Old Testament pictures Jesus in the, in the midst of this great unfaithfulness of God's people. God says, I'm going to bring a son from this unfaithful group that is going to fulfill all of my promise. So he makes a promise. Say to your sisters, <laughs> you receive mercy. Say to your brothers, you are my people. Then we see the fearful punishment of God and the promiscuity of Israel. Fearful punishment of God and the promiscuity of Israel. It starts with the plea from God, verse 2 through 4. Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. God has every right to divorce his people. I know I, I, when I was in, in Bible school and, and working through Scripture, I struggled with that thought that God would divorce his people. In reality, he does it. He simply says they're worthy of divorce. And I could if I wanted to. I have a legal right to, to put them away because they've been unfaithful. But does he actually divorce them? No. See the promise? He says, no. I'm going to be faithful to you even though you haven't been faithful to me. I have a legal cause and right to do that, but I'm not going to exercise that. Instead, he pleads. He pleads, says, plead with your mother, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring, from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Now, we've, we've said this is a, a vivid and striking illustration. It, it's, it's, you talk about being real and getting real. It is very real. It's real in this sense is that God looks at the idolatry of his people as equal to the unfaithfulness of a husband and wife in that relationship. And he says, what you do, what, what my people do when they go away from me and they worship other gods, they are like a, a, a wife who is, is, is faithfully committed to a husband but outside of that relationship is unfaithful and goes after other men besides her husband. He says, Israel is like that to me. Now, it's, it's real in the sense that when Israel, we, we went through some of the Old Testament examples and we, we looked at Elijah and we, talk, we saw Elijah as he contended with the prophets of Baal. And, and we understand that when Israel worshipped Baal, these false gods from the people in the lands around them, that worship did involve a, a, it was a sexual content to that worship because in the temples of these Baals, of these false gods, one of the things that they practiced was a sacrifice or a worship that was a sexual ritual. And, and God had told his people to, to, to don't, don't be associated with that. Don't go to a people who are doing these kinds of things. So in a physical way, they were involved in, 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 in sexual activity that was simply uh, deplorable. And in doing so spiritually, they had pulled themselves away from God and stopped worshiping God as he is and had abandoned God and gone after the gods, the false gods of the people around them. 
So this is a vivid picture that God is giving through his prophet to really connect with his people, and they should have seen it and identified it very clearly because they had gone that way. And the question for us today is, do we see ourselves that way? Do we see that God has proven himself to be the God, and yet we worship other gods, and that is deplorable to God? Now, how do we worship other gods? Well, first ask, how do we worship God? We trust in him. We look to him to provide our salvation, to provide our sustenance, to provide everything that we need for living. We look to God. Jesus taught us how to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He meant that physically. He meant that spiritually. He meant that in every way we see God as our source and we come to him for our source. Now today, in fact, we we are in danger, even as believers, as going to other gods. When we no longer are looking to God's word for our answer and looking outside of God's word, we are, 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 are we are spiritually unfaithful to God because we have put someone else in his place and looked above them. When we look to our own means, our own methods, our, our, our own devices for, 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 for bringing us what we want, we're doing what they did. Now, Israel, it's been noted that Israel was a, a nation that was uh, very strongly agriculturally based. In other words, um, that, that was their foundation. That's how most of the people lived. It was surrounded by agriculture. And so uh, 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 they, 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 they drew crops. Um, they raised their, their, uh, uh, the things that they needed to live on. And, and so you notice that God, when he, he said, worship me, bring to me the, the first fruits of your crops. That's how they were to, to worship God. Um, uh, so they, they, uh, uh, they lived that way. There's a lot of uh, language dealing with um, shepherds and, and, and sheep and because that's how they lived. They, they raised sheep and and goats and so forth, and, 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 and that's how they lived. And because of that way of living, they were very subject to, you can think of us as a farmer, one who plants uh, 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 crops and, 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 and makes his living off of that. Um, you know, we're kind of distant from that here in, in our urban lifestyle. We just go to pick and save and, you know, get our salad and, you know, get our fresh meat and get whatever we want. We forget sometimes where it comes from. Um, but they were very close to that living. And you can imagine, you remember what Elijah did when he came on the scene? He says, hey, it's going to stop raining. And what does that do to a, a people who are based on agricultural lifestyle? We are too, but we don't realize it since we, we have sources from all over. You know, if California has a drought and we just go to Florida or Texas or other places and, and, and get our produce, or we even go, you know, to South America or wherever and, and have it shipped in. It may cost a little bit more, but, you know, we, we get what we need. So we, we kind of think we're independent of those kind of things. But in Israel, they were very much dependent on the weather. They were very much dependent on rain. They were very much dependent on the right climate for growing crops. And so um, there was an appeal with the nations around them. They worshiped Baal. Baal was a god of fertility. Baal was a god who would, uh, 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 th this is what he held out to them, that he would bless their land and their, 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 their climate so it was fertile and it would produce the crops. And so when things got bad, they would think, uh-oh, we can't go to God, he, you know, there, there's a curse on our land. Let's go to Baal and let's do this ritual and let's see if they would bring rain. Let's see if it would give us good uh, sunshine. Let's see if it give us a good soil so that we can produce what we want. Here's the thing. When, when, when things went sour, went bad, instead of going to God and confessing and repenting and turning to him, they went to other things 
other sources to get things right or to make things comfortable for themselves. Now, when I put it that way, ask, is that much different in our culture? When things go sour, where do we go to? We often go to the doctor. We go to the government. What can you give me? Hey, man, I need to live. We go to the economy. I need a good job. We go to education. I need the education and the skills to get that job. We understand how that functions and how that works, but what I'm asking is behind that, are we trusting in those things? I mean, I go to the gas station just like you to put gas in my truck. I'll I, 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 I pay a mortgage or rent just like you. And, and, and so I have to live in this earth just like you do. But the question behind that is, are we trusting in those things? Have they become our gods? And so when something goes sour, where do we run to? So many people, when, when it goes bad, they run away from church. Even when things go good, they don't need God anymore. They go away from church. So they have shown that they have in their mind, in their lives, other gods, other things that they look to to promote their success and well-being other than God himself. Now, no one would tell you don't go to the hospital if you're sick, but I'm still asking you, when you go to the hospital, are you trusting God? Or you're devastated because the doctor can't help you. When we have mental, what we call mental ills and problems, we go not to God, to his word, to God's people. We go to the psychiatrist. We go to counselor and advisors who don't teach us the word of God at all. We even go to our favorite people and see what their solutions are, celebrities and, and their advice. And, 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 you know, everybody pitches in on what you ought to do. But are you listening to God? And in that, have you shown yourself to actually be, practically be, trusting in God? Or have you made up another God and says, I pray that Baal makes it rain and brings blessings in my life. That's what Israel was doing, and that's what we often do in our same culture. So, he warns through Isaiah, I mean through Hosea, he warns Israel by this vivid picture of Hosea and his wife Gomer and their children. He warns them of their unfaithfulness and the consequences of it. Verses 2 through well, through 13, let's just look at a few things. The consequences of us turning away from God. Some, sometimes we, we, we look at this as punishment, and, and yes, it is God's judgment. But I, I want us to think this way. God's judgment is inevitable. In other words, when we turn away from the source of all life and the source of all good, who God is, whether you believe that or not, he is who he is. When we turn away from God, what do we expect? So God's judgment is, look, I told you where to come to get it. And when you turn away from me, what you're going to get? This is what you're going to get. He says, verse 3, I, lest I strip her naked make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness, make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. That's a vivid picture because that's one thing Israel was afraid of is thirst. That's why Elijah said, hey, until I say so, it's not going to rain. God knew where to hit them, where it really affected them. That's why they were going over to the bales to get what they think they could get from Baal that they would not get from God. Verse 4, upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. Their mother has played the whore who she who conceived them has acted shamefully. 
that that phrase their mother has played the whores it's just a vivid picture of Israel's unfaithfulness she has acted shamefully it's not really hard for us to 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 visualize what that looks like and to translate that into Israel's daily living she has acted shamefully how does she act shamefully look what she says verse 4 for she said I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water my wool and my flax my oil and my drink what is Israel saying I'm gonna go to the source of all things of good things that I receive now, it's, 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 it, should be, it should open our eyes that Gomer, Hosea's wife, is, is pictured as Israel. And instead of going to her husband, she goes outside of the marriage to get what she wants. Israel has done that. Instead of going to faithful God, Israel has gone to the nations around them to get all the things that she wants, the things that she thinks they need. Now, these aren't bad things. It says, what, what, what is she trying to get? Bread, water, wool, flax, oil, and my drink. These, these are things for, for daily living. But the picture here is she has gone away from God and out to another source. And God's judgment is saying, when we forsake God and go, go away from him, what do we expect to get from others? Is it really going to be good for us, or is it going to end badly? Look at the consequence, verse 6. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her, that she cannot find her paths. So God puts some barriers so that she won't keep going that route. Why? Because that's not good for her. That's not healthy for her to pursue from someone else. What God gives. Look at the results of that, verse 7. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. We have an image, a picture of somebody who's desperately trying to get something, even though they can't. It's kind of like a picture of a person who's blind but still reaching out and grasping for something, even though they can't see it. That's a desperate picture, isn't it? That's a desperate picture of someone who wants something so bad, even though they can't get it, they keep going after it. That's a picture of a person caught in sin. We have a lot of pictures of that in, in, in our culture. You see it, especially this time of year, you go past a workplace and it's cold outside. It may be raining or snowing, but people are outside the break room in the cold smoking a cigarette. Why? Because that cigarette is so good. Well, actually, to them, it's not, but they got a habit. The habit is what has, has chained them to this thing. They got to have this thing so bad they're willing to go out in the cold, in the snow, for however long they need to do to get that smoke. Again, that's just a picture of sin, period. You say, well, I don't smoke, so that's not me. But that's a picture of sin. It will have us groping in the dark after something that is no good. And even when, we, when it doesn't treat us right, we're still going after it. That was a picture of her. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say... Verse 7, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. Now, so God has used some hardships in her life to get her to see something. To get her to see that the people she thought would treat her nicely and be good to her, the life that she thought was golden, that was great, really ain't all that. And it opens her eyes to say, wow. I actually had it better with my first husband. Who is that first husband in Israel? It's God. And then what he says, 
she did not know, verse 8, that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold. God says, I have always been the source of the good that she received. But she thought it was from Baal. She thought it was from the other God. She thought it was something else that she was doing that got her these things. You know, crazy things happen to people. They say, well, you know, I don't normally play the lottery, but I played it one time and I won. Well, guess what's going to happen? They're going to keep doing that. Now you say, well, Pastor, what's wrong? You know, it's just a dollar. It ain't cost that much. And, and I ain't really losing nothing in the process. But I'm asking you, who are you trusting in? You're saying I got one in umpteen million chances of winning, but I trust that instead of trusting God. You said, well, I trust God too. Well, that's just what Israel did. They played it both ways. They said, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to go to the lottery. I'm going to sing in the choir and I'm going to be at Potawatomi Bingo. I'm going to play it both ways. Because after all, whoever produces is what I'm going to gain from. That's exactly what Israel was doing. That's why God says, I'm a jealous God. You don't play with me. You either all for me or you all against me. You either all in or you're out. He says Israel didn't realize where their good was coming from. God will say, I'm, I'm going to rig the, 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 the wheel or, the, or the, whatever you call that, the slot machine, so that when you put that next thing in, boom, it all falls out. You're going to say, praise God. <laughs> really? Praise God. I won. God says, I am the source of your very next breath, whether you serve me or not, and whether you appreciate and honor that or not. I'm still the source. And that's what he's saying to her. She didn't realize it. She did not know, verse 8, that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. God's saying, I give these good things and people who should be my people using those things, not for me, not for my glory, but for their own deal, for their own good. Isn't that a picture that we see all too often today? God is the one who gives you the strength. God is the one who gives you the ability to work a job, and then we work a job say, I'm too tired to go to church. We see that all too, too often today. So many entertainers say, you know, God, they have this God-given ability and talent. They're right. God gave them that ability and talent. The question is, who are they honoring with it, though? No question who gave it to them. Now, I think there is some, 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 some question as to, well, who might uh, enhance that a bit and kind of open the door so that they go in certain ways. Satan has his way of doing that, too. But the question is, are you going to acknowledge God as a source and honor him rightly because of that? Now, she's starting to turn a little bit. What it took her to turn? Well, God had to strip her naked. Verse 9, therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I'll take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness. He says, my provisions were a grace to her and a blessing to her and covered up. But now you go away from me, what do you expect? You're going to be disgraced, he says. You're going to be disgraced. Verse 10, I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end. Now, so let, let's stop there. Verse 10, no one rescue out of my hand. He says, you know, when you turn from God, you are on a path of destruction. It's just inevitable, and it's a matter of time. And God says that's exactly what's going to happen. 
But then he gets pointed in verse 11. I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, and her Sabbaths. I've said, I, I use that a, a illustration of people going to the slot machine and then putting some money in the offering as well and saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to invest on both sides. You know, maybe that I'll I, I win here and maybe get a lottery uh, win. But I'm going to put a little bit in the offering too because who knows, you know, what's, what's going to do good. That's what Israel was doing. And here it is, verse 11, I'll put an end to all her mirth, her feasts. What is this mirth and feast and new moons and Sabbath? These are appointed ways that, that, that Israel was to worship God, but they had turned over Instead of worshiping God only, they, they, had, they were still worshiping God on the side, but they had given holy over to the other gods, the false gods of the people around them. So they were playing them both. You would ask in the midst of this, you know, Israel, the, uh, the northern kingdom fell in 722. If you, if you look 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you would ask the question, since God is destroying this nation, are there still people in, in, in the synagogues? Are they still worshiping at the temple? Is there still worship going on? And, and I would say to you, there was full-fledged worship going on. It was false worship because they were playing both sides. They were saying, we will worship God and we will worship Baal and see which one answers. That's why Elijah says, choose you this day. Either you will serve Baal and he's God or Jehovah is God. Make a choice. They were going between them both. We have this picture that, you know, they just sold out wholly to idolatry. No, what they were doing was both, and that's an abomination to God. He said, if Baal is that good, go and trust him. Go and serve him and see how well he treats you. But if you're going to trust me, you're going to serve me and me alone, and give up any other false gods. God is asking us, challenging us, to trust him, to take away that, that cushion that we have in case this don't work out, to serve him wholeheartedly, to trust in him and him alone. So we see, it says, verse 11 and feast and new moons and Sabbaths, her appointed feasts. Israel had several appointed feasts that they were to celebrate, and they were keeping those feasts, but they were also worshiping the false god. Verse 12, I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages which my lovers have given me. She was getting things in, 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 in the in the real sense, Israel as a nation were going to other nations and begging them for protection. When a, when a, a nation like Syria will come against them, and I could, we could actually go, and we, we may do that, some of that this evening. We can actually go to the passages in scriptures that show this. But when a nation like Syria will come against them, they will go, oh my goodness, we need help. But they still wouldn't turn to God. They would say, you know who's big and bad, who can help us? It's this king. And so they would go to another king and say, hey, would you help us? And we, we would see pictures in the Old Testament where the king of Israel would empty out their treasures and pay uh, uh, this money to another king for their protection. And God is looking at heaven and saying, I can't believe this. That's why it says, look at chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 7. I'll have mercy in the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. God is saying, it, you don't need powerful nations around you to be your buddy and to be your friend. You need to trust me. I'm not saving you by all of those means. I'm saving you by me alone. God asks us, commands us to trust in him alone. What's your plan B? What is it? God says, get rid of it. It's his plan alone. His plan alone. 
So Israel was looking to all of these other nations to come to their rescue. And so they had made allegiances with them, kept a buddy, you know. <laughs> I know it go against the grain, especially when you talk about careers and, and how people, um, you know, plan out their career and they, 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 they build relationships with people. And so, you know, in case, you know, the job that you're at, if, if you know, that falls away, you can, you can look and you can call your, your friend who you kept in contact with and say, hey, I know you work for such and such company. Um, are y'all looking to hire? So we know how that works. And we're not saying that is an evil thing to do, but we're saying what Israel was doing was saying, you know, in case God don't come through, I, you know, I got a little bit of money saved up here. I got a little hope over here. I got a friend over here who can come through, 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 uh, you know, tough times. God is saying, no, I want you to trust me and me alone. It kind of gives us a picture of what it means to trust God. And are we really trusting him the way that God demands? So go back to chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 13, I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals. So you notice they had feast days of Israel, and they also had the feast days of the Baals. So they walk in both sides, trying to accommodate God and a false God. That's not going to work very well. I will punish her for her feast days of the Baals, which she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry Went after lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So we see this vivid picture of how Israel had forsaken God. They had forsaken them in their practical, everyday living and worship. And God pictures that to a, he, 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 he equals that to an unfaithful wife who has a faithful husband, but she's gone after others. Now she's torn down because you know what happens. Maybe she got a little older. Maybe after three children, they didn't want her so much so anymore. Maybe they just got tired of it. Maybe that's the game they play, you know. Me and you can kick it for a little while, and after that, it's time for something new. Whatever the role was, she was on the bad end of it. And they were saying, you know, I'm looking for a change now. She was saying, well, well, you know, ain't you going to give me any more gifts? You know, I kind of depend on that. I get my living off of that. And they said, baby, it's over. We done. And she began to look and say, you know, maybe she pulled out her cell phone and realized that Hosea just texted her and he's been texting her every day. And stupid me, why don't I go back to Hosea? Now, you talk about picturing the love of God. If I was Hosea, this has been written differently. It, it, just, it just doesn't jive with me. But it gives us a picture of God. Look at the next verses. They just amazed me. This is a picture of the Old Testament God. When I first read it, verse 14, therefore I will allure her. That's okay, allure. That's a word where, you know, you kind of set a trap for her. What do you allure with? You allure with something that's desirable. Because it's it, it kind of a picture of bait, maybe for a fish or bait that's in a trap. And that's kind of how I took it, but it's not saying that at all. He said, I'm going I'm I'm to speak sweet words to her again. Now, the reason why that, that just doesn't sit with me, because I'm like, her? Really? And the first thing comes to mind, she don't deserve that. You're too good for her. That's absolutely true. She doesn't deserve it. God is much too good for his people. 
then we get the right picture that God is sending to us. It's always been that way. You weren't with me because you deserved me, God says. I didn't love you because you were so luxurious and great. In fact, you can spend all your life, in fact, all of eternity writing songs and thinking and poems about why I love you, and you'd never figure it out. Because it ain't about you. It's about me, God says. And so he says this, I will. If you would just look at the I wills here, okay? This is saying God takes action. He's not passive, sitting for her to come back to her because this woman is out of her mind. Remember the picture of the one who's blind and still groping after these Things that don't do her any good. That's her picture. And it says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. God takes action to move her from where she's headed to a new direction that she wasn't going. He does it. It's not her going, hmm, I guess this is good for me. You know, you have a sense of that. In in her mind, yes, she says, I'm at the end of my wits and, and these guys ain't no good for me. I might as well turn back to my husband. But what gave her the thought that her husband would even be there for her? This is God's work. This is God's doing. This this is far above human love. This is an amazing picture of God. Old Testament God, yes. God who says to this undeserving whore, I want you for mine. You belong to me as wicked, as foolish, as sinful as you are. You're mine. He says, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to bring her to the wilderness and his judgment is going to take place. That's not what he says. I will lure her, bring her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. You know why it's hard for us to trust It's because God is so amazing. We don't deserve that kind of trust, and we can't figure it out. It's kind of like when I was a kid. My parents taught me, don't take candy from strangers, right? They also taught me, no such thing as a free lunch, right? Because they knew human nature. They were adult. They They weren't deceived. They knew human nature. They said, human nature is so wicked that someone will prey on you as a child. And you think, no, nobody would do that. But parents are a little wiser, and they know a little bit about human nature. They've been around, and they're warning you, don't be fooled by the smile, by the candy, by the soft words and all. And so we, we reason why we don't trust is not just because we're cynical. It's because we're real. We know wickedness. We know what it's like. What's amazing to us and unbelievable to us is real love. And so when God shows it, we like, I don't trust that. that that's, that's, that's our reality. That's the world that we live in. It's so unlike anything we've experienced that it just blows us away that that can't be real. Gomer is saying, I don't deserve this, and she's right. Gomer represents me. Gomer represents you. And then it says, I'm going to allure her. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. Therefore, I, remember, look at the I wills. I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Echo a door of hope. She will answer as in the days of her youth. God says this is going to be like sweet love when we first met. That's what he's saying. I have to admit, if a man came to me for counsel and said he felt that way towards an unfaithful one, I said, dude, wait a minute. Something wrong. <laughs> you don't know who you're dealing with. This woman ain't worth all that. But God 
does it to show us himself above human love. What does the New Testament say? His love is beyond measure and reason. We can't contain it in our little minds, in our brains. It blows us away. That's the picture that he wants to send to us. Look at more of this picture. Verse 16, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal. Verse 18, I will make for them a covenant on that day. The beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground, I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war, and the land. From the land, I will make you lie down in safety. To me, that, that's a picture. <clears throat> I ask myself, well, when is this being fulfilled? It is being fulfilled, first of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to us and depicts the love of God, the grace of God, in ways that are just unknown to us. Why would a Savior die on the cross in my place? I'm not worthy of that. And then it pictures, he says, I'm going to make a covenant with the beast of the field. What does that mean? He's saying, in my kingdom, things are going to be so different and so changed that all of nature is going to be changed and be made right. We see it in, in other passages when it says the lion is going to sit down and eat straw with the ox and, and the, the little kid is going to play next to the poisonous snake. We, we see that all of nature is going to be changed and reversed in God's kingdom in a glorious way that, again, I, I, I can't even imagine. But he said, this is what I have in store for you. I'm going to make a covenant for them. I'm going to abolish the bow, the sword, and war, bow and a sword, it's all items of violence and, and depict one kingdom against another and war and, 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 and all of that. He says, that's going to end. That's going to end. How does that end? It ends in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I know my time is, is short, and, and so I'm, I'm going to bring it to this. And, 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 and here it is. When we talk about God, we see in this chapter his punishment and his promise and in between the promiscuity of Israel, so Israel does not deserve any of this. We see God in his fullness. And, and Jesus Christ pictures that very God. And if we want to learn, if there's anything we learn about Jesus is that he is amazing and we can't fully comprehend all that he is. The Bible pictures him as the lion and the lamb. And we see the lion in his judgment and his destruction and the lamb in his, 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 his meekness and his, his easy, kind of, well, I would say easy to get along. No, the lamb isn't in vicious towards anybody. The lamb is a sacrifice who dies for the sin. The lion is the, is, is, is the challenger. He's the, he's, he's the one that's in charge. And Jesus in his fullness is all of these, and they just blow us away. But God means that to happen. You don't fully understand my judgment. You don't fully understand my grace. Both of them are amazing, and what's even more amazing is they all pictured and they combine together in one person in the fullness of God. Glorious God is the one who judges sin. The glorious God is the one who he himself is a sacrifice for his people's sin and delivers them a love and a mercy that they do not, that we do not deserve. Glory of God. Tender words, he says in verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me. He's saying 
to an unfaithful woman that he's already been married to, says, we're going to do this again the right way. <laughs> we're going to do this again the right way. He is in essence saying, I have forgiven, provided the forgiveness and forgiven you for all of your wickedness. And now, I could rightfully divorce you, but no, I betroth you to me forever. How good is God? Are you giving him the glory for his goodness to you? Are you giving him the glory for how he, in all the I will statements, he comes after you to be his people who don't deserve it to be his people, to be the to be to respond to that love. It, it is so unlike anything that we're accustomed to, but that's you. Our proper response is to be in awe, to worship, and to commit ourselves to you, faithful God. Thank you, picture, both of your love and grace and of your judgment. Thank you for us in our lives to live. Jesus' name we pray.